0: Open your Bibles, please, to the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 5. Ecclesiastes, chapter 5. Tonight, Lord willing, we're going to go down through verse 7, verses 1 through 7. Speak to you tonight about, um, well, you can call it whatever you want, lessons for living or life lessons might be a better way to look at it. In these verses... Solomon turns our attention to the subject of worship, and if you'll notice there in verse 1, he begins by saying, Keep thy foot when thou goest in the house of God, and be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools, for they consider not what that they do evil. So we know automatically from that phrase, house of God, that he's speaking about the matter of worship. He's been reminding us up to this point uh, that the world has absolutely nothing to offer that can satisfy. And so with that in mind, now he is turning our attention to God, and, because that's the only source of satisfaction for anyone Regardless of our fortune and our fame and our wealth and our health or anything else, without God, we'll never find satisfaction. So here in this section, he gives us some, well, very simple but, uh, but very serious rules concerning the matter of worship. Now, when I say that, uh, we're going to look at four different things that he mentions. But when I speak about worship, Uh, we need to think of worship as a lifestyle. In fact, I've preached uh, from Romans chapter number 12 a message by that title, Worship as a Lifestyle, and that's what it is. That's what it's all about. It's not some, uh, you know, just ceremony where we run in and uh, worship and run out and forget God. Worship is a Attitude of life and everything we do, our mannerisms throughout the week, and it involves everything about us. But in this section, he points out four things that are of extreme importance, uh, life lessons that we need to learn that relate to our worship of God. Verse 1, the first part of verse 1, and the first lesson is that we ought to walk circumspectly. Notice he said, keep thy foot when thou goest to the house of God. Now, that statement has been subjected to several erroneous interpretations, and I've heard some of them. I've heard most of them. And it's absolutely uh, amazing how some people have taken, twist, and turned this, uh, you know, to suit themselves and their own particular uh, convictions. Uh, Some have said that it had to do with... uh, Removing your shoes before you enter into a sacred place. Uh, That's their opinion. There's no scripture for that, you know, but uh, that's what they think. Others say, well, it's a reference to washing your feet uh, before you enter into worship. But to me, the most foolish one that I know of and that I've heard the most often, even from Baptist preachers, And that is to use this here as a prohibition to upbeat music in a worship service. They claim that it's wrong to have music that makes you want to tap your feet. You know, I I, I, I can't imagine why they would want to enforce something like that. But in fact, I've had more than one... uh, preacher friend but one that was especially good friend that he absolutely disallowed guitars fiddles anything like that to be used uh, in in worship music you know uh, organ that's all they used was organ or uh, or piano Uh, by the way the piano deep heartfelt conviction And nobody, I mean, if there was a conference there or someone, nobody, if it was no special music with a guitar or with a fiddle or with a banjo or anything like that. So I'm convinced this has nothing to do with whether you clap your hands. Oh, yeah, I've got friends like that that don't believe y'all. Understanding what's going on here, and that's the word keep. That means that I'm using to be that we ought to walk circumspectly before the Lord. See, in other words, it's a warning about our conduct, our manner of life. And when we meet to worship, we're to be mindful of why we're there. You know, there was a movement that started, oh, now several years ago. I tend to lose track of time. It seems like it was a year or two ago, but actually it was probably 30 years ago when that movement started, you know, to uh, to just come casual, you know, and and, and there came a point that literally those, you know, that chose to wear a suit and a tie, uh, the preachers would make fun of them for doing that. And I remember one preacher friend telling me of another preacher friend. He had gone there, and he said, you'll never believe what's going on in that church. And he said, rather than, you know, everybody congregating as they normally do. Now, this did happen to be a college town. So I, you know, I I can maybe a little bit understand why the laid-back feeling but literally they would come and they would sit on the floor. There wasn't no need for it, but they'd be barefooted or they'd be in sandals. They might have a tank top on, just whatever they had on whenever they left home. That's the way they came to church and just sat around up in, in the floor. Now, let me say this. If, if, if somebody is, especially you think about somebody that's unsaved, We don't want to make a bunch of rigid rules that they've got to follow and live by. And if somebody that doesn't know any better comes in... If he sits down there in the floor, I'd rather have him there where he can hear the Word of God than to not be here. So please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But we need to understand that when we meet together to worship God, that it is a, it is a sacred time. And, and Paul says in, in Ephesians chapter number 5, verse 15, he says, "...see then you, that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise." And so here the Holy Spirit is basically guiding Paul years later to write this basic same information that Solomon was talking about. And sadly, there is so much carelessness and disrespect in many churches today that, well, they just treat church like it's a, uh, it's a common social gathering. And there's no, no reverence for God whatsoever whatsoever. Now, let me say something else, and again, I, 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 I'm not trying to nitpick, but a few years ago, uh, there was a movement started, especially down here in Texas, called the Cowboy Churches. I had never talked about that in the service in my life that I know of. I had certainly never said anything critical about it, except one time about a year or so ago, and... Uh, and so that was a part of the message it fit in uh and i talked about the cowboy church and some other things and for the first time in my life we had a guest that after the service i met and i looked at the card guest card that i had received earlier that was there that day and it it showed their membership at the cowboy church over in montgomery or somewhere around here you know and so There's a real I have a real problem. I think God has a real problem with us having such a laid back, carefree attitude. You don't know if you're at a hallelujah hold down and just or whether you're supposed to be worshiping God. And if you know me, you know, I'm not against upbeat music. I'm not against emotion. I'm not against any of that. But I believe the worship of God is something special. And when, when it's laid out there in Romans chapter 12, and by the way, the verses I'm talking to do not even use the word specifically worship, but it certainly implies that. And it is a lifestyle of submission to the Lord. It's something that we don't start and we don't stop. It's something that ought to be continuous in our life. And so in everything we do, there ought to be a reverence for God. I remember Chuck Swindoll one time, and I haven't listened to any radio preachers in at least 10 or 15 years probably. I don't have time to to do that. And it's all right if you do. I I just don't. I can't study and concentrate on what, what they're saying at the same time. But uh, I'll never forget him talking about trying to get people's attention, and he talked about things you know that he thought about trying. You know, you dim, you dim the lights, and you pump up the volume, and and, and you know just do whatever to try to get their attention, and, and to get them to stop from uh, from from talking amongst themselves and doing things that are disruptive. He said he thought about putting a large sign up out in the foyer that just said shh you know and but then he comes to the conclusion it wouldn't do any good because none of those things is going to cause people to quieten their heart and to tune in and listen to god i remember when i pastored in tennessee we uh, most of our folks there were farmers they raised cotton and soybeans, and that, that was their livelihood. And uh, it so happened that most of those farmers, and some of them deacons, would always sit right down front on my right in the first uh, couple of pews there. And I'm telling you, right up until the minute they got there, until the minute that I got up to preach or the service started, all it was was talking about their crops one after another after another, and I'll never forget the only big blow up that I had while I was there in that church was over that issue. I made a statement about the church being unfriendly to guests that would come in, sat down, and you know, and some of you folks will never shake their hand. You'll never speak to them or anything because you're so caught up in getting catching up on your business and talking about everything under the sun. Well, no sooner did I get home, here come... Kathy knows exactly the guy I'm talking about. He comes pulling in the driveway, and uh, for the first time and the only time really that uh, we ever had words was the fact that he was so upset. And I told him, I said, look, yes, our church is friendly. We're friendly to one another. It's the new folks that come in that nobody pays any attention to. And I said, that's horrible and terrible and awful. Well, I moved on from there, not because of that, but the Lord led me up to Cincinnati. And so uh, later on, lo and behold, I caught word that this fella had publicly admitted, you know, that Brother Stone was right about that. Well, thank God somebody got the message that whenever we meet together, we meet not to just interact with socially with one another. Look, Christian fellowship is wonderful, and we ought to be friendly. There's not anything wrong with whenever you meet one another and greet one another and shake hands. Hello, how are you? I hope all is going well. I, I'll I'll talk to you later. Uh, but there's something very wrong whenever we we just make it a, a, a an exercise of social. Uh, uh, conversation and that's exactly what happens a lot of times and I think the big problem is a lot of folks don't see the they don't see the need to prepare for worship you know most of the time we think about preparing for worship well I, I comb my hair I shine my shoes I, I I've got on a nice outfit I've got my Bible and it's off to church we go and that's to them that's preparation and it is in a manner of speaking as much as our appearance is concerned, but it certainly it certainly has nothing to do with our spiritual preparation. When I was first saved. I absolutely could not wait to get back to church. And I didn't want to miss any service at any time. And uh, Kathy was just a little thing way back then. In fact, we had three three girls at that time. And uh, we'd uh, leave early. Of course, I'm known for getting places early because I always believe if if I'm a minute early, I'm an hour late. I I like to get where I'm going early. I want to be there on time. But we'd get there 30 minutes, sometimes more than that, more than 30 minutes before they had turned the lights on in the auditorium. Nobody was in there yet. And we'd sit there just in a darkened auditorium. It wasn't pitch dark enough. Maybe you might make out some words in the Bible. But I love to just sit there and think and meditate on God's word and try to prepare my heart. Now, I'm not expecting anybody to show up 30 minutes early and sit here in the auditorium before our ushers get here. That's not what I'm talking about. But I think we all ought to prepare our heart before the worship service ever begins. And I'm really convinced that so many times what happens before the service determines what happens during the service. You know, because we can't just turn it on and turn it off, by the way. You know, we can start the song service at a certain time. We can certainly do that. But whenever it comes to the atmosphere of worshiping God in spirit and in truth, that's not something you can turn off and on, and it needs to start before we ever get here. That's why we're talking about here walking circumspectly. It's our manner of walk, our lifestyle, what we do, because it all carries over into our worship of God. Now, look at the next part of verse 1, and here's the second life lesson, and that's the fact that we need to listen carefully. He says, and and be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools, for they consider not that they do evil. That's a horrible thought in itself, right? They consider not that they do evil. What What a terrible thing that we don't even take our conduct into consideration as to what God thinks about it but notice here the, the thought is here that we are to we are to listen and we are to learn now boy that really sounds simple but believe me a lot of people have never really learned to listen uh, it, it wasn't easy for me. In fact, I'd never learned to really listen until I got saved and had a desire to learn. I, uh, that was my biggest problem in school. Who wanted to sit there and listen to a teacher? Man, I want to be on the ball f- field or the pool hall, or I want to be somewhere besides in a classroom. A- and it's difficult to really just sit and listen and to learn how to uh, to get out of a message or a lesson what we ought to And we, you know, talk about this day and age that we live in and the shrinking attention span. And 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 there's something to that. Uh, People just have a hard time focusing today and uh, makes it almost impossible to even communicate with some people because their mind has been so conditioned by whether it's TV, video games, whatever it is, and uh, you know they can sit there and they can uh, amazingly sit there and play a video game for hours on end and i guess it's because of the rapidity of the movement and things like that but whatever it is our minds we, we, we want we want a shortened version of the reader's digest it's not enough to not read the book i mean who reads nowadays anyway that's a be a good practice for everybody to spend more time reading. But hardly anybody reads. We want the condensed version of everything, whether it's the news or the sports or whatever it is. And sometimes that carries over into our spiritual life. That whenever the word of God is preached, we're not really tuned in. We're not listening carefully to what is being said. And mark it down, whether it's grandma, grandpa, mom, dad, the Sunday school teacher, or the pastor, whoever it is, whenever they begin to read from God's Word, that's God speaking. That's God speaking. And that's all the authority anyone needs is whenever God speaks. But communication requires two. There's one that has to speak. There's one that has to listen. And so this is what the warning here is about. N- notice here the contrast. He sa- he warns us here about what he calls the sacrifice of fools. Now, some folks take that, you know, as a reference to the utterances of fools, the things that they say in other words that they'd rather talk than they would listen because they want to be uh, they they want to be heard. Like, everything they say is something very important that everybody needs to know, so they love to talk. And I've known people like that, and so have you. But if we take this in a literal sense, which I think we're compelled to do in this case, literally, what what does it mean? It means the sacrifices that people have brought where? Well, notice what he says here, the house of God. That's where he's talking about and there's a perfect example of this over in 1 Samuel chapter number 15 where he talks about it is better to obey than what? Than to bring your sacrifices to God. It's better to obey than to offer up all of these sacrifices here. And so we're not to, to be as those who, uh, you know, that that are foolish enough to think that they can Fulfill God's obligation in their life by mere ceremony, even by offering a sacrifice without really tuning in to what he says. Because the wise worshiper goes to the house of God that he might hear the word of God to learn the will of God so he can do God's will for his life. That means that our worship is to be intelligent, it's to be thoughtful, it's to be sincere And if we're not careful, we'll get so preoccupied with other matters that, well, sometimes we just go through the motions of worship without actually hearing God speak. And look, that can happen to any of us. There are folks here, no doubt, that have heavy burdens on their heart. They've got great needs in their life. And uh, sometimes... Sometimes those things are so uh, so important to your life that it's, it's hard to not think about them. And the devil has a way of trying to divert our attention, whether it's on our pleasure or our pain, regardless of what it is, our discouragements or our delights, whatever it is. He wants us to think about anything except what God is saying in his word. And so this is what... This warning is all about that we are to listen carefully. Now look at verse 2 and verse 3, because here is the third life lesson, and that is that we ought to speak cautiously. Be not rash with thy mouth, and let not thine heart be hasty to utter anything before God. For God is in heaven, and thou upon earth. Therefore, let thy words be few." Well, that's another way of, you know, of talking about us uh, speaking before we before we think, and that's a very common thing to do because a lot of times you know that uh, what we say from our lips do not actually come from our heart, and a lot of times they don't come with the proper deliberation uh, on our mind, and that's the issue in this text here. And the seriousness of it, again, I point out, is the phrase here, for God is in heaven. They go to the house of God to hear the word of God, and notice he says, for God is in heaven. Now, that doesn't mean God isn't here. Let me tell you right now, if God isn't here, I'm ready to leave. I I, I want out of this place. Because it's the presence of God that makes the church what it is. He is present where two or three are gathered in his name. There he is in the midst of them. He is present. But that's not the point. He's not talking about the geographical location of God so much here as he is reminding us of God's lofter, of God's grandeur, and telling us that God is in a position to see everything and to observe all that we do. God is watching. God is listening. And because of that, we need to be careful about what we say and as we're told over in the book of James, we ought, to, we ought to speak less and we ought to listen more. Let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak. Now look at the next verse. And it explains what we should seek to avoid. For a dream cometh through the multitude of business, and a fool's voice is known by a multitude of, of, of words. Now, this obviously is telling us not to act like a fool. That is, don't speak without giving it much thought first. But the first part of this verse is actually illustrating the second part of it. And notice the reference here to dreams. And, uh, and that's not, you know, as you might think of a dream here, because this is related to our business or our activity. Notice the multitude of of business, all of our activities and our business. I mean, that, that's the driving factor, the one thing we just can't stop thinking about. It. And notice it carries over here into our dreams, he says. It creates dreams, dreams that are meaningless and useless so far as our relationship with God. So, uh, this overabundance of activity. Uh, causes our mind to wonder. And so we engage in worthless fantasies instead of being focused on God, even though that God has has a lot to say and what God says is important, we just slough it off as though it is meaningless. And, you know, just as the dreams can indicate that we're overly troubled by the cares of the world, a multitude of words can indicate our foolishness, a multitude of words. You know, I, I've noticed a lot of times people will try to cover up their lack of knowledge by just talking incessantly. Just they, they never turn it off. They think that's a sign of intelligence. And even if they know they don't know, they want you to think they know because they're all, always talking. They've got an opinion on absolutely everything. When I went to work for the Missouri State Highway Department. I know I've told this before, and I know I'm doing what I said I would never do. You know, I'd heard those preachers and say the same thing over and over. And I, uh, man, why do they have to keep telling that? But sometimes it's just a good illustration. Uh, the project engineer was a man with the name of Eddie Edwards, and so he was my boss. He was the he was the chief out there on that particular project which was constructing a highway. So he takes me out to the grade, going to introduce me to everybody, and before we get there, uh, he, he stops short of the field office, and we're just setting up on the grade there. He said, i will give you one piece of advice before I take you over and introduce you to everyone and let you out and let you start. He said, if you don't know something, don't talk about it. If somebody asks a question, and you don't know what it is, don't pretend like you do. And that was some of the best advice I ever got. If we, You know, we make a fool out of ourselves when we try to act like we know something that we don't know. And we're a lot better off if we'll just come right out and say, look, I, I don't know. I don't know, but I'll find the answer for you. And so the point is that a wise person will weigh out their words before they speak and then having done that they'll say only what you know is necessary to make their point they don't just keep going on and on and on about the matter they make the point and i'm not talking about in a rude way by by the way i'm you know you can be friendly and you can be right without being rude and we ought to be and there's nothing wrong with just conversation with one another that's not what i'm saying but I'm saying there is something very wrong whenever, like he says, a fool's voice is known with the multitude of words. People that just won't shut up because they want you to think they're wise instead of fools. Now, beginning in verse 4, we come to the fourth life lesson, and that is to keep commitments. So we are to walk circumspectly, we're to listen carefully, speak cautiously, but notice here, He talks about making commitments. So he's already just warned us about the misuse of the tongue. And now he's proceeding to point out here one of the most common issues, which is making vows that we don't keep. And that's a serious thing in God's sight. Notice verse number 4. When thou vows to vow unto God, defer not to pay it. For he hath no pleasure in fools. Pay that which thou hast vowed. Verse 5. Better is it that thou shouldest not vow than that thou shouldest vow and not pay. Now, here in verse 5, he's revealing to us that vows are of a voluntary nature. God's not holding a gun to anyone, saying, You know, I, I'm demanding that you make this vow unto me. So we're not under any obligation to make the vows, but when we do, We are obligated to keep them, whether we're talking about the marriage vows or whether we're talking about whatever. By the way, we ought to even think of baptism as a vow, as it were, unto God, that our old life, you know, that it's dead, it's buried, and we intend to now walk in newness of life. But any promise, any vow that we make is of extreme seriousness in the sight of God, let me turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 23 and for many years I've had these verses uh, circled and colored in and because they address this very issue that is so important and taken so lightly by so many people. Verse 21 of chapter 23 where he says, When thou, when thou shalt vow a vow unto the Lord thy God, thou shalt not slack to pay it, For the Lord thy God will surely require it of thee, and it would be sin in thee. But if thou shalt forbear to vow, it shall be no sin in thee. That which is gone out of thy lips thou shalt keep and perform, even a free will offering according as thou hast vowed unto the Lord thy God, which thou hast promised with thy mouth. You know, how many times have we seen people that are in trouble I mean, they are stuck in the mire of misery. They don't know how to get out. And so in the midst of all of their trials, they'll come to God and say, Oh, dear God, if you'll just get me out of this, if you'll solve this problem, if you'll meet this need, if you'll put my marriage back together, I promise you I'll do this and I'll do that. Let me tell you, your very life hangs in the balances when you make a promise like that to God. Because God is not going to settle for some excuse that we make in that regard. It's serious business. So he says, verse 6, we're back to Ecclesiastes, verse 6, Suffer not thy mouth to cause thy flesh to sin. Neither say thou before the angel that it was an heir, wherefore, should God be angry at thy voice, and destroy the works of thine hands. So clearly this is a warning about the words of our lips that lead us into sin, and that sin, of course, leading us to loss. Several years ago, it was a very common thing for certain churches to have fundraisers by... uh, by appealing to the people uh, about the need and then by them uh, asking the people to make a promise to give so much they would pledge that you know i'll give so much and so that that was their means of raising money well some people would get so caught up in the excitement of all of it they would make promises that they couldn't or wouldn't keep and that became a real problem it became an obvious problem in a lot of churches and you know, because sometimes just, you know, the, the, the pressure of trying to appear that I'm just as generous as he is, you know, or I'm just as spiritual as he is, uh, that would cause them to do things without thinking them through. So whenever the churches recognized that this was a serious problem, uh, and by the way, it was serious because a lot of churches set their budgets upon those pledges. And when it didn't work out in a year's end, they found themselves in the hole. Well, somebody said, I've got the remedy for that. And I remember the church that I was saved in. In fact, they even initiated this in that church uh, a few years later. It's called the Faith Promise Offering. Now, the Faith Promise Offering works like this. Instead of making a pledge that you'll give God so much, the Faith Promise is this that I will pledge or I will promise to give God so much if he supplies it. So, in other words, that's kind of saying, if it comes in, you know, I'll give it to him. Now, actually, that seems pretty harmless, and it would be harmless if people kept their promise. But the point is, they don't always keep their promise, because not only does enough for it come in, there's more than enough for them to do what they want to do, but, oh, man, I I forgot about We've been wanting to get a TV for the back bedroom. You know, I, I forgot about this or forgot about that. And some way or another, people kept justifying their failure, God's failure. That's the way they wanted to make it appear. Well, God didn't supply the need, so I ended up not giving it. And let me tell you, God doesn't accept excuse, excuses like that. Whenever we tell God we're going to do something, we better make sure that we do it. And that's the whole point of this. And notice what Solomon says here. He says, neither say before the angel. That is the messenger, uh, God's messenger. whether you want to think of it, you know, as the prophet or the priest or the pastor or uh, or one of the angels literally in that sense and in, in other words he's saying don't say oops I made a mistake notice neither say thou before the angel oh it was an error <laughs> I, I made a mistake I, I, I you know I, I, my intentions were good I really meant to do that but you know I, I just made a mistake and he's saying don't Do that. Don't lie. Why? Well, notice the next phrase. It tells us why. Wherefore should God be angry at thy voice and destroy the works of thine hands? You see, when we displease God, we deprive ourselves. That's a scary thought because without his blessings, all of our efforts are futile. It makes no difference how hard we try. God just absolutely pulls the rug out from under us. And when we fail to keep the promises that we make to God, we're going to pay a high price. And it's so heartbreaking to to see people that that are guilty of this very thing. They stood there at the marriage altar and made vows one to another for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health and so forth. And then all of a sudden, you know, I pledge my troth only unto thee and then before you know it God only knows what all is going on you see how horrible and terrible and but it's look it's not just in regards to that matter it's in regards to every area of our life and something that might seem so very small and insignificant to you is a major issue with God when we tell God we'll do something Lord you just help me to get better, and I'll be in church every week. Well, if you get better, you better be, or you get a whole lot worse. Verse 7. And we'll close with this. For in the multitude of dreams and many words, there are also divers various vanities. But he's going to wrap it all up here for this section by saying here, but fear thou God so instead of us being concerned about our dreams i've had people over the years to ask me you know if if god speaks through to us through dreams and things like that and ask me well i had this dream what do you think it means well i don't know what it means i have absolutely no idea like I've often said, you know, I can eat a peanut butter sandwich 30 minutes before I go to bed, and I'll have nightmares and end up shooting half the town or getting shot at or some crazy thing, you know, that's off the wall. Uh, just because you had a dream, it doesn't mean anything. But, But the whole point is, instead of being concerned about that kind of nonsense, because if you want to hear God, you can right here in the Bible. That's how God speaks to us, you see. And so we better make sure we mean what we say to God or even what we say to others. And we ought to always notice, he said, fear God, that has to give him the proper reverence. Not only that, but fear, that is dread offending him. Boy, that's something that is so missing today. So I hope this evening, whenever you leave here, that you'll think about your worship of God as being a lifestyle. It involves all these areas that we're talking about, it involves every area of our life. And uh, because that's what God is looking at, He's not just observing us when we're here for an hour or so on Sunday morning or Sunday night. God's watching every step we take, everything we do. Throughout all of the week, and it all matters to God because it all should resound to the glory of God instead of trying to gratify ourselves. Well, let's stand together, and uh, uh, you, you know, I I don't I don't know how many uh, might, a lot of folks might not have uh, heard, but uh, Brother Rick Morse's uh, brother right back there. Uh, joined wednesday night and so by the way he's he's our newest member and we'll, we, we thank the lord for that and we're just so thankful that god has brought him here and uh, put him amongst us so i hope you i hope you do what you can to be a blessing to him well you never know what god is going to do so uh, brother nolan lead us in a verse of an invitation hymn please